I would say, um, to me, one of the things I'd like people to know is that it's never too late to change, <laughs> right? Even if you think you're X years old or you've been in this career X number of years, you can still make a change if you're not happy. And I'm, I have certainly done it many times in my career and many times when a lot of people thought, why are you changing? You've been doing this for such a long time. Um, you know, it's never too late and it's never too late to at least think about it. And even if you decide that where you are is the right place, um, it, as long as you come to that after having thought about it as a possibility, I think is, is a win. Welcome to Inside Out Career Design. In this show, we're obsessed with answering a single question. Is it possible to create an authentic, meaningful, and fulfilling life you love while building a successful and rewarding career? My name is Peter Axtell, and I'm here with Nicola Vetter. We're co-founders of the whatsnext.com Career Insights Platform and creators of the groundbreaking Motivation Finder Assessment. Join us as we seek to transform suffering into joy for millions of people stuck and confused in their lives and careers. We'll share our insights, discoveries, and life lessons and talk with career experts, leaders, spiritual guides, psychologists, data scientists, coaches, anyone who might hold a strategy or answer to the age-old questions of what's next for me and what should I do with my life? Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and above all, to connect deeply with who you are and what you're meant to do with the time you've been given. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends or family and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Are you trying to figure out what to do with your life? to figure out what to do with the precious time you've been given on this earth, or to figure out what only you as a remarkable and unique individual can bring into this world? If you are, please join us for one of our live and completely free online workshops where we cover different topics to help you figure out what to do with your life and career without wasting precious time, taking wild guesses, or risking it all. To save your spot in our next live and free workshop, go to whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. We can't wait to see you there. Again, that's whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. Our guest today is Lynn Della Pietra. Lynn is a neuropsychologist with a PhD in clinical psychology. And the main reason we wanted to talk with Lynn is that she is a former student of ours. She came to us a few years ago when we were running the Midlife Reinvention Program to help people stuck in midlife figure out what's next for them. Lynn knew that she needed a change, but she wasn't sure how or in what direction. She only knew that she wanted to decide with clarity and intention. And what she found was a surprise. 
the job she had was actually the perfect job for her at that time. That's why we were so excited to talk with Lynn, to catch up with her and to see what she's been up to. And in our conversation, we talk about how a job she thought she needed to leave ended up being the perfect job. How there are many sources and ways to find meaning outside of work. How she navigated to very critical what's next moments in her life. And exactly how she saw the writing on the wall for her current career and explored other possibilities. How it's never too late and never too crazy to make a change. And how, despite having three very different career paths, they are all connected by her North Star. And now, it's time to listen and learn from Lynn. Welcome, Lynn. We're so happy to have you with us today and to see you again because you were one of our students in the Midlife Reinvention Program that we ran about five years ago. Just to recap quickly for our listeners, the Midlife Reinvention Program was something we created to help people who were stuck in midlife to reinvent themselves without putting their family, future, or finances at risks. And in many ways, that program became the foundation for the inside-out career design process we've created and that we teach today. So, Lynn, you were a special and unique student in that program because you ended up making the decision to stay in your career, at least at that time. And we are curious to hear what happened since then. But first, what led you to join our program? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be able to have this conversation with you all. Um, and, you know, I feel like I've known you all for such a long time now. Um, and, you, you know, in some ways, you know, all of my deepest secrets. So I'm very happy to be able to have this conversation. Um, so I had been working in higher education for uh, about 20 years in different positions, first as a professor and then as a department chair and most recently as a dean. And I knew that there were only one or two positions where I could go from there. One would be to, to be a vice president for academic affairs or a provost. The other would be to be a university president. And I didn't have any interest in really either of those positions. So I, I sort of felt a little stuck. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I felt like I had run my course in higher ed. <laughs> um, and my husband, coincidentally, or fortuitously, happened to see an ad for the Midlife Reinvention Program. And he said, I think you should look into this. This might be a really good way for you to explore what else you might do if you decide to leave higher education. So I remember vividly having this call with Peter in my office. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be something really good for me. Um, I, I feel like I had spent a lot of my career moving from position to position, not necessarily with a lot of intention or with a lot of very far forethought. For example, I never made 
five-year goals or 10-year goals for myself. I was kind of going along and, and the next interesting thing that would come up, I would say, I think I'm going to do that now. And so for me, the Midlife Reinvention Program was a time to sit and really think and reflect in a way on my career that I had never done to that point. Um, and what was the most interesting about that process is that through that process, I realized that the job that I had at the time was in many, many ways very close to my ideal job. And, and I remember having that conversation with Nicola and saying, you know, wow, <laughs> I had never really thought about it in this way. I had never really thought about what are my ideal characteristics of a job? What are the ideal situations that I would be working under? Um, and, and then realizing that my position at the time was actually very close to that. And so that was what led me to decide to stay in my job for what I believe was about three years after we worked together. Um, and then since then, um, I've done some more reflecting and there was, uh, there are a lot of changes right now happening in higher education that I felt were not going to be good for me in the long run um, in terms of just difficulties. There are a lot of colleges that are struggling and I tended to work at small colleges, which are struggling the most of, of all the colleges. Um, and so I decided to switch switch gears and do something different. And that's how I ended up in executive search. Okay, that's a full picture that we got <laughs> right now. <laughs> that's wonderful. I want to peel it down a little bit. Going back to our program, what was this what's next moment, how we call it, during that program? And what, what exactly happened inside of you? I mean, you're a neuropsychologist. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, what happened was that the program, the, there was a very specific exercise that I remember where we listed out all of the things that our ideal job would have. Everything from where would you be working? Who would you be working with? Um, you know, what type of work would you be doing? And then almost creating like a Venn diagram of how much overlap there was with those ideal characteristics and your current position. And again, this sort of aha moment for me was, wow, they're really very similar. Um, and I have it pretty good at my job, even though some of the content of what I was doing day to day was not necessarily that uh, exciting. Um, I realized that if I took all of the pieces that were important to me and the most important to me, that job had many of those already in place. Can you give us some examples of those, of those pieces and what you felt when you realized, wow, <laughs> <laughs> that job is actually the perfect job, at least right now. Yes. So I can tell you that one of the things that um, that I value a lot in my work is autonomy and having independence. Um, and at my job at that time, I did have a lot of independence. Um, I also had a schedule that allowed me to kind of, I don't want to say come and go as I please, because that doesn't sound exactly right. But there was a certain amount of flexibility 
in my hours and in when I worked. And I was able to work some from my home. Um, and all of those things are very were important to me as I learned sort of from making this list. Um, and so <laughs> it really was a moment where I said to myself, hey, you know, uh, if you go to another job, you might not have all those things. You might have different content and you might be doing some different tasks, but you may have to give up these other things. And, and I think, Nicola, the most important part of that exercise is not only listing the things, but talking about how important they are, how salient they are to you, sort of giving them weight or relative weight. And so saying, okay, I can trade off this piece, which is not that important to me, as long as I have this piece, which is really important to me. Um, and so I remember saying to myself after that, that exercise, um, hey, maybe, maybe I should think about whether I want to leave this job or not, because it's pretty good. Lynn, what were the things you took away specifically? Can you remember? From that exercise in particular? Well, yeah, when you think about the whole midlife reinvention program, what were the, oh. thing that, the things that you took away? Well, that was a big one. Um, th another one was thinking about the types of work that I enjoy and the types of work that suit me. Um, so I'm a very linear thinker. I like uh, things that are black and white and concrete and... I like tasks that I can complete and that are maybe less ambiguous than other tasks. And so uh, reflecting on that was important for me in terms of thinking about what my next step might be. Um, you know, can I find a job that capitalizes on those strengths or where those strengths are an asset uh, to my performance? Another thing that I really enjoyed about that program was the exercise where we called our friends and we said, what are the things ab about me that you think uh, have, have caused us to have such a long lasting friendship or relationship? And, and just hearing those things um, illuminated some themes for me uh, that my friends were saying similar things. And that made me think, oh, <laughs> there must be something to that if everyone is saying something similar. Um, and, and then how can that tie into what I do for a living? How can I capitalize on those characteristics in what I do? How did you, at this time in your life, find meaning? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough question, I think. I struggle a little bit with the idea of trying to find meaning in my job. And I think maybe we talked about this, that um, I've always had a hard time trying to find a job that gives me that sense of purpose. And, and I think the way that I've approached that, or I've approached that question is, is there a way that I can structure my working life so that I have time in my personal life to do the things that satisfy me. Um, so for example, one of the things that I really love to do is I love to uh, direct musicals. And there's a community theater near my home that um, I hadn't been able to work at for a while because my job was taking up so much of my time. And 
as I started to transition out of my job and into this new job, um, I've been able to do that more. And so I, I think that for me, I, I struggle a little bit with the idea that my job has to give me the meaning, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Meaning uh, comes from different sources. So it's not only, only the job that gives you meaning, but if you are miserable in your job, mm -hmm. then having meaning in your life is really, really difficult. Right, right. I remember at the time when you said about uh, playing the piano and about creating events, and I remember that how you had a kind of a aha moment where you said, you know what, I, my job, I'm not getting it with my job, but I can get it in these other ways and blend the two of the things together. Exactly. That's exactly. a really good lesson for people. Yeah, because I think, you know, sometimes if you're lucky enough to be in a position where you can search for a job and take time to find a job that gives you meaning, that's amazing. But a lot of people don't have that luxury, right? A lot of people have to put food on the table and they have to get whatever job they can so that their family can eat. Um, and so to me, that's a little bit of a luxury sometimes. And, and if you can't find it in your job, then I hope that you can find it outside of your job. Exactly. And you definitely, I mean, you, you, you shine. <laughs> I, can, I can tell that you are much more content than at the beginning when we first met. Absolutely. I was, I was really struggling at the beginning with this, with this exact question, is I have to find my passion. And I have to, that has to somehow be what I do for a living. Um, I that message is so pervasive and and i do think sometimes that can be a damaging message because then you feel dis dysfunctional if you can't figure that out right oh my gosh not only do i have to figure out what my passion is <laughs> which can be a struggle for a lot of people and is and was a struggle for me as well but then you have to find a job that allows you to do that for a living and make money and feed your family and have health insurance and all of that, right? All of these practical concerns. So I think that that can be a very difficult question. And I was struggling with all of that um, at the beginning when we first started working together. Um, and I definitely think that working through the Midlife Reinvention Program and the time that has passed since then, uh, I've definitely become a lot more content Uh, both with my professional life and and being able to integrate some of the things that I love to do in my personal life. I'm so happy to hear that. One last question about when you joined the Midlife Reinvention Program, you had what we call a what's next moment, where you had no choice but to sit down and figure out what's next for your life and career. Have you had any of those next moments since then? Well, yes. When I changed jobs um, from teaching and into executive search, that was a big what's next moment because that was a, it's a big pivot um, from the type of work I was doing to the new work. Um, and so that was, that was a big change. And I had to really think about, do I want to leave this 
area that I've been in for over 20 years to do something that I have very little knowledge about um, other than some dabbling here and there where I was working with some people that I knew. But that was a huge what's next moment in terms of uh, I'm going to I'm going to jump <laughs> and hope that there's a net there, you know. You said when we last spoke that you saw the writing on the wall and shifted into uh, executive search. Yes. So what exactly is it that you saw? What caused you to shift? Well, really? it was too, it was really, a, it, it's a situation that's happening in higher education broadly across the country, which is that there are fewer 18-year-olds who are going to college because there are fewer 18-year-olds generally than there were. And coming up in 2024, 2025, there's something that uh, people in higher education are calling the demographic cliff, which is a, a very steep drop-off in the number of babies that were born 18 years ago. Um, and so what's going to happen is All of the college that, colleges that are struggling now for enrollment are going to be struggling even more because there are fewer students and everyone's going to be competing for this reduced shrinking population of, of 18-year-olds. So to me, uh, that meant <laughs> that my job was going to be getting more difficult and that it was going to require some types of work and thinking that I don't particularly think are my skill set. Um, you know, thinking about creative ways to bring students into a college. You know, I, I probably could have done it if I had done a lot and a lot of reading and, and worked with people, but it was something that I knew was going to cause a lot of stress because if you can't bring students in, people aren't going to have jobs. So I just saw that my job was probably going to get a lot more stressful. And I was, I was not really excited about that, to be totally honest. Um, and so I started to think about what else I could do um, that would be a complete shift from, from being a dean or a professor. How did you go about doing that? Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> it was... Uh, I, I put a bit, and I'm looking at it as we speak, I put a big piece of white butcher paper on my bedroom wall and I wrote everything that I could think of <laughs> on this paper. Um, everything I could think of from being a secretary to working at a casino to going back to school to... Um, you know, staying in higher education to, and I just thought of everything I could think of. And I put it on this big piece of paper in my room and I, exactly. And I just had it there. And I said, I'm going to just leave this here for right now. And I'm going to look at it every once in a while. <laughs> and then I started to kind of go through that list and say, this is not realistic right now. This is maybe for when I retire, <laughs> you know, um, and then I whittled it down to some potential things. And then I just talked to as many people as I could think of who were connected to that line of work. I put out a lot of connections in LinkedIn. I talked just to everybody I could think of 
And I even put out on Facebook a couple of times, I'm thinking about this. I mean, one of them was event planning. I put out, I'm thinking about event planning. Does anybody have anyone that they know that who I could talk to? And I talked to as many people as I could talk to. Um, and it's amazing what will happen <laughs> if you put that stuff out into the universe. Uh, people will appear in your life and you'll, you maybe won't know why they're there at the time, but later you'll look back and you'll say, ah, that was why I talked to that person. Lynn, how many topics or possibilities were on this piece of butcher paper and how long did it sit up there <laughs> marinating while you were looking at it every day? I'm going to say there were about 20 things on that list. Um, and it sat on my, it sat on my wall for probably two years. Um, because I, you know, even though I have changed jobs and I've even changed careers a couple of times in my life, I'm not a, I'm going to just jump without looking kind of person. I need to know that the move is going to be secure. It's going to be safe. It's going to be, you know, not going to put my family in financial jeopardy. So it did take me quite a while to, to have it be marinating. And being an executive search now, Mm -hmm. uh, you know that many people today out there are thinking about leaving their job and starting over. How would you advise them to do that in a safe way? Yeah, and, I, and I'll preface this by saying I'm not uh, putting this advice out there as a recruiter, but this is my own personal advice. Of course. Yep. I, I would say that I would start with the brainstorming, right? I would start by thinking of all of the possible things that are not only what you're doing now, but are related to what you're doing now or are related to what you would like to be doing or what you love to do. <laughs> so as an example, one of the things that I love about doing musicals is I love the casting process. And I've always thought about a career in casting. So I put out on Facebook, <laughs> does anybody know anybody in this world? And a good friend of mine had a friend who had a friend And they connected me with her and I had a long conversation with her. And after that, I realized that was not at all what I thought it would be like that life. And I thought, okay, this one is not for me. Let's go on to the next one. And so I literally just tried each one of those things on my list, tried to talk to as many people as I could who either did that for a living or knew someone and tried to assess how close that would be to my ideal job. So you did, I mean, you are an excellent student as well, not only <laughs> teacher, but also student. And you did exactly what, what we taught you, it seems. We call these interviews, life and career design interviews now, and My question around that is, because I, I believe that many people out there ask themselves, well, would anybody even reply to me? So you'll be surprised. When I first started this question about casting, 
I went on uh, a website. It was called something like Casting Directors of America. And there's a whole list of people there with their email addresses. And I emailed everyone that had an address on there. And you'd be surprised. I actually spoke with, via email, I spoke with a woman who was a very high profile casting director. She emailed me back. And we had a couple of back and forths on email. And and I said to her, I can't believe you emailed me. I mean, I knew her name just from seeing it in the credits on television shows, right? And and she emailed me back. And she had a very lovely, you know, response. And she said, this is what this life is like. And, you know, here's what I love about it. Here's what I don't love about it. And it's amazing. If you just cast a wide net, you'll be surprised who will respond to you. Lynn, I have an intuition here. I'm going to take a flyer. <laughs> I think that you are a little bit of an introvert as opposed to an extrovert. Is that true? For sure. For I do sure. a very oh. good impression. I do a good impression of an extrovert. Though. Yes. But what <laughs> I would like for you to speak about for the thousands of people who are introverts the kind of actions you take, which is kind of against how you naturally might want to be because you're an introvert. Can you speak a little bit about that? That'd be interesting. Well, the internet is a wonderful thing, Peter, because <laughs> you can be an extrovert on email and it really doesn't cost you anything, right? I can connect with someone on LinkedIn. I can send them an email. We can have a whole conversation and it doesn't require you to, to be with this person physically, it doesn't require you to have an extended conversation. It doesn't sap your energy in the way that sometimes introverts feel that social interactions do. So for me, all of these conversations, and I like that you called them conversations, Nicola, because they were all electronic conversations. Um, they didn't really cost me, if you want to say that, right, as an introvert. They didn't cost me, and and it was very easy to, to do it that way for me. Um, even on the phone, I, I think on the phone too is is a lot easier for me than in person uh, because I don't have to see the person. <laughs> I don't have to get up the same level of energy that I do if I'm in person. So I think all of these technologies make it a lot easier to to put yourself out in a way that if you were literally going door, you know, to places and knocking on their door, I would never have done that. <laughs> I suspect, Lynn, though you didn't write just a half-baked email either. I suspect you put some no. care into how what you were sending. <laughs> yes, I did. I mean, I, and I was very honest. I I said, "This is what I'm doing now. Uh, I'm thinking about what could be next." And here, here's my question for you. You know, what do you think about, what do you think about this profession? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Um, it wasn't long. It wasn't, you know, a whole page email. It was a paragraph because, you know, people won't read them. Uh, and I just kind of got, got to the point. And a lot of people responded and said, wow, you're a professor and now you want to, <laughs> you want to do casting? And, and so they were reading it and they were interested. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I tried to make it at least ca eye-catching the email so people would read it, but short. Short. Yeah, the shorter <laughs> the better, actually, yes. in, in 
times of constant distraction all around, right? For sure, yeah. And did you meet one single person for coffee or in person or was everything online? Um, well, as I got further into the process and sort of left casting <laughs> to and realized that was not going to be it, uh, when I started to zoom in on executive search, then yes, I did. And and again, this was just literally, uh, I mentioned it to someone. It was my sister. I mentioned to my sister, oh, I, you know, I think this might be a place I could work. She said, oh, that's interesting. I have a friend who does that in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. And we didn't think anything of it because at the time I wasn't very serious about changing jobs. But as the years went on, she said, oh, I should connect you with him. And it turned out we ran into him somewhere. She said, oh, Lynn's interested in this. He said, I know someone you should talk to. So it's always this, you never know who's listening or who's going to remember that you said something. And so that person I did meet for coffee. <laughs> And we did have an actual in-person conversation because he's an extrovert. <laughs> right. And he wanted to do that. So I did it. Um, yeah, so yes, I did. <laughs> do you do you remember what it was that did draw you towards executive search? Yes, I was trying to think about the parts of my job as a dean that I loved the most. And it's funny because hiring is very similar to casting, <laughs> right? You have a pool of people you have a pool of people and you're trying to match the right person with the role, right? Um, and I always loved that about my job. And so I thought, how can I do that for a living? Um, and executive search is pretty much that, right? We have a pool of applicants. We are trying to find the best match for this position. Um, you know, there are other people involved. And so we're mostly just making recommendations, but it is a lot of that same process. This, this contrast, Lynn, between PhD neuropsychologist <laughs> calling to, to be a casting director and somehow that it, I can't say what it is, it somehow all fits. How does that fit? <laughs> If it does. <laughs> I, again, I do think that it, there were parts about being a teacher and a professor and, that were similar to this in terms of, trying to find what's inside people and how can you guide them towards the next right thing for them. And I, I would say that some of my, the, my, my personal successes in teaching, I feel, are the students that went on and did amazing things. Like I don't sit around and think about, oh my God, that lecture I gave in 2006 was so amazing. <laughs> I don't think about that. I think about, wow, I have several students who went on and got their PhDs. I have several students, many students who went on and got master's degrees, who are successful people, who are loving what they do, who are helping people. Those to me are the, the successes that I feel I have had in my career. And part of that is, trying to point people in the right direction, right? And so I feel like that's maybe the thread that goes through 
casting, <laughs> musicals, right? This person would be really well suited to this role. And executive search, this person would be really well suited to this position. So I, I think that's the link. This sounds a little bit like you're a great connector as well. Yes. And I think that when we did the North Star exercise, that was my North Star, was trying to guide people towards their potential and towards, you know, places where they could do great things. I, I remember a conversation we had when you were talking about your students in a very self-effacing way. And it was something about how your students, they, you inspired them in some way. They felt very seen, which is, I think that's what you embody. You just have this, you're just a blast to be around because I think you lift up other people. I think that's one of your, your superpowers, I think. But, but, but for real, that, that's very beautiful as a teacher to help with other students. Yeah. And that's actually one of the themes that came out in my conversations with my friends as well, that they enjoyed being around me because I have a positive energy. I try to lift them up. And um, so, yeah, I think I think you're right, Peter. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Now, we are nearly at the end here. But is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really want our audience to know? I would say, um, to me, one of the things I'd like people to know is that it's never too late to change, <laughs> right? Even if you think you're X years old or you've been in this career X number of years, you can still make a change if you're not happy. And I'm, I have certainly done it many times in my career and many times when a lot of people thought, why are you changing? You've been doing this for such a long time. Um, you know, it's never too late and it's never too late to at least think about it. And even if you decide that where you are is the right place, um, it, as long as you come to that after having thought about it as a possibility. Um, I, I, have, I have a cousin actually who, uh, she was sort of my inspiration for that. Um, she, when she was growing up, always wanted to be a hairdresser, always. She would do all of our hair when we were little and she just loved it. And her parents said, no, you need to go to college. And so she went to college and she was very unhappy. She never finished college, but she got a very good job as a graphic designer. And she was doing that for a long time. And about three years ago, and she's in her late fifties now, she said, you know what? I want to be a hairdresser. And she left her job and she went to hairdressing school and everyone thought she was insane because she had this very good job and she was making good money. And she said, you know what? I never got to pursue that dream. And now that's what I want to do. And she did. And she, her classmates voted her the, the graduation speaker. And she gave this amazing speech about how it's never too late. And I was talking with her, maybe la it was last Christmas. Uh, I saw her and I said, you know, you're a huge inspiration for me. This, this idea that you could do this and make this leap is incredible. Um, and so I just want people to know that. <laughs> like, you don't have to feel stuck. And, and 
if you're going to stay where you are, at least do it after reflecting on other potential things that you could do. I have an aunt, a great aunt, who raised her whole family and, you know, her kids were grown and she said, I was a woman in the 40s and 50s and we didn't go to college. And she said, now that I'm 60, I want to go be a psychologist. And she got her PhD when she was 62 years old and she practiced for 10 years, 15 years as a psychologist. And she was so happy. <laughs> and she's was my other inspiration. And I always tell, I always told my students about her because my students would say, I'm 25. I can't go back to school. It's too late. <laughs> and I would say, guess what? It's not too late. That's a great pearl of wisdom that you're leaving our audience with. <laughs> it's never too late. It's to never change. too late. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Lynn. You're welcome. It's Thank been you such for a pleasure. Me. We hope you enjoyed this interview. The biggest takeaway for me was the fact that even though on the surface, it appears that Lynn had three very different paths and interests, first as a teacher in higher education, then as a casting director for musicals, and then as an executive search associate, they are all tied together by her North Star. How? No matter what she was doing, she was always trying to guide people towards their potential and toward places where they could do great things. Absolutely. Once you know it, your North Star is always there to guide you. The biggest takeaway for me was this idea of connection and how Lynn connected with so many people online when exploring different career paths. Often, it was just an email exchange, but her courage to reach out and ask questions helped her understand what it would be like to work as a casting director without having to make a leap or take risks to try it out. Wonderful. To learn more about Lynn, head to whatsnext.com forward slash five, where we share the transcript, links, and more. Again, that's W-H-A-T-S-N-E-X-T dot com forward slash five. And if you like what you've heard, share it with someone you care about and subscribe, rate, and review our Inside Out Career Design Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We'll see you next week for another episode, same time, same place.